overarching theme of this episode is just say, I love, I love fat gay people. I love people. fat gay people so much. <laughs> I'm here for that. I think it's a great, it's a great message. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I am Virginia Soul Smith. I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. It is time for the January Ask Us Anything with Corinne. This is a good one. We are getting into, oh my gosh, so much stuff. Language around weight, cozy clothes, how to be a good ally, how to raise your thin kids, not to be assholes to fat people. I mean, it's really all here. It's quite a rich one. So you're going to enjoy it. Here is Corinne and me, but first a quick break. Okay, friends. So January is almost over, and hopefully that means the new year, new you, diet culture nonsense is starting to die down a little bit for you. To reward all of us for surviving another round of this bullshit, I am reactivating the new year no diet sale on Burnt Toast subscriptions. So here's the deal. You have until February 1st to take 20% off your subscription. That gets the price down to just $4 a month if you go month to month and $3.33 a month if you do an annual subscription for $40 total. Paid subscriptions are the best way to support everyone who works on this podcast, including our guests who receive a $100 honorarium for their time and labor. You also get a ton of great perks, including all of my reported essays, full access to the Paywalled podcast episodes, and the monthly Ask Virginia column. And you'll be part of the Burnt Toast community with commenting privileges and our super awesome Friday thread discussions. So if you have been on the fence, if you've been thinking about joining us, this is the perfect time to just go ahead and do it. A great anti-diet resolution, I might add. Just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com forward slash new year, no diet to join us. Thanks so much for supporting independent anti-diet journalism. So we're going to do some New Year's questions. Happy New Year's. Happy, Happy 2023. New Year. This is that artificial podcaster thing. Corinne and I are still in December, guys. <laughs> we're recording in advance. Mentally, and we're already in 2023. How was your trip to Thailand? I survived the plane ride. Everything went smoothly. I have no idea. My children slept for 20 hours straight. They did. They did. This is a lovely future that we're living in. All right. So even though we are in December, we're going to do some New Year's questions because folks sent them in. And I do think, I feel like the New Year's thing both is the same every year and also a new level of hell every year. Is that how you feel about it? Yeah. My birthday is also in January. So I feel like the December New Year's birthday is always mm -hmm. just like a whirlwind of just like trying to fix my life and yeah. failing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're forced to take stock in all these different ways that yeah. you don't really want to be doing. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like if you have a birthday in another part of the year, it's like you get another chance to like reset during it's the true. year. But I have to do it all in January. All at once. You don't get another shot for 12 months. That's it, Chris. This is your yeah. only opportunity. It's my only chance to do any planning. Um, That's so funny. Well, also, setting. happy birthday. By the time this airs, your Thank birthday you. will have been last week. Oh, going yes. through our timeline. I am now 37. <laughs> you can say it out loud. This is a pro-aging podcast. I'm the age where you have to like do math to yeah, remember yeah. how old you are. For sure. I've been there for a while and it doesn't get easier. <laughs> oh my God. Well, do you have any ideas about 
fun ways to buffer yourself from New Year's, New You, diet culture bullshit? This is a good question. I don't know if it's fun, but I do think like it's a good time to spend a little less time online probably because that's where the noise is. So making plans that will give you something to do other than doom scroll. Yeah. It's a good time to give up on your email because yeah. the diets related sale ads. I was going to say, yeah, um, take a little time to unsubscribe from every yeah. email that yeah. says new year, new you. There can actually be something satisfying about using that as a catalyst because some brands you don't think are terrible and then you get their January email and they show you their true colors. So it's a nice opportunity and it can be very cathartic to be like, unsubscribe. Goodbye. Now I know who you are and I'm done with you. I sort of like the part of New Year's that's like reflecting on last year and planning for the year ahead. So it, I, I do think it too. can be fun to do some goal setting or planning. I agree. And this is something I want to think more about and maybe like write about at some point because I do think it's like a chicken and egg thing where I'm like, is the sort of new year opportunity to reset and reflect, is that something diet culture invented or is it something diet culture co-opted? Do you know what I mean? Definitely. And if it's the latter, then there's something powerful in reclaiming it because I am someone who sets goals for the year. I tend to be like work related. Yeah. Um, But sometimes I set a fun personal goal or I don't know, like some intention or something. Even like go on a vacation. I want to get into a fun new hobby like knitting or puzzles or whatever um, (laughs) your hobbies happen to be. So I think there can be something really great about that. But I'm also like it's so easy for all of these things to get twisted, right? Well, one goal I had last year was to like pick up the dog poop in my backyard like as it (laughs) happened rather than like letting it pile up and then being like, God, we've got to do it. (laughs) It's too gross to even talk about. But yeah. I think a lot of pet owners, we see you, we see you, we have a cat litter box that can get similar. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm thinking about what Casey Davis was saying about, you know, like, if it works for you, like, maybe just let it work for you. If this is your system, embrace that it's your system. That was so helpful. So that's actually an interesting twist on the New Year's thing, too, is like, instead of setting a goal to change something, can you set a goal to like give yourself permission to keep doing something? Right, or just accept the way you are. Just be like, this is something that works for me. It is perhaps unconventional or doesn't match up to whatever standards. Oh, I like that a lot. All right, what was our best New Year's Eve and maybe your worst? (laughs) Um, You're laughing, so you go first. (laughs) I'm laughing I feel like I don't have a great answer. For me, New Year's Eve is always one of those holidays where you have really high expectations and like it's always a letdown Mm -hmm. kind of. My best in recent memory is like a couple of years ago when I had no plans for New Year's Eve and I just had friends over for dinner and we like had a very chill dinner and like did little tarot card Oh, that sounds so nice. Reading. Yeah. It was very fun and like last minute and easy. Yes. And there were no like countdown Mm -hmm. expectations. Right. It was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And worst, God, I'm sure there is a worst and nothing is coming to mind. (laughs) I've blocked it out. I'm sure it involved a terrible hangover on January 1st. Yeah, I've got those. I've got a couple of those. 
I am weirdly romantic about New Year's Eve, and I blame Forrest Gump. I feel like when I saw Forrest Gump, there's that scene where they're, like, counting down New Year's in the bar, mm-hmm. and the hooker, I think she's a hooker, I don't want to make assumptions, the lady that he is talking to, it's like a loud crowd at bar, and she gets this kind of wistful look on her face, and she says, everyone gets a second chance at New Year's. Yeah. And somehow that is like a core memory from my childhood, this wow. wise hooker's words. And you know what? Like, great. She's a yeah. she's a truth speaker. And, um, and so I've always been kind of romantic about New Year's. But that led to being very disappointed about New Year's plans often. Yeah, it seems like it should be this really cool thing. And it's always like everyone's tired from Christmas. But I will say when we were in our 20s and we lived in New York City still, and I don't actually might totally be retconning this. We did throw a New Year's party every year. And I have memories Mm. of it being this like epic time. And that I did have a few of those New Year's that were like the like big party, beautiful memory. I don't know if that's actually right or if I just like to look back on that. Someone from Virginia's past needs to write in, fact in and check let and us be know. Like, I mean, I know for sure the one where, um, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, I might get a text about this. Amy Blanche and I split, split a bottle of tequila. <laughs> this is a hilarious story for everyone who follows yummy toddler food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. Keep going. I, uh, I feel like there's more to that story. Okay, I'm telling the story. Um, Mostly because it's mostly humiliating for me, not her. So Dan was in a comedy group, and he was performing. So we'd go to a late-night comedy show, which is like a big ask for me and my attention span um, and feelings about improv comedy. Dan is very funny, but, you know, improv comedy is a mixed bag. So we were going out to the show and then on to a party, and she came over to get ready with me, and we made some cocktail that was tequila-based and many other kinds of juices and put it in like, because also Amy's very outdoorsy. So I feel like we put it in like a Nalgene bottle, (laughs) you know, for like hiking. Yes. (laughs) And so it was hard to manage your intake. And that is the night where at the show, I got thrown up on by a drunker person. Yes, that happened. I really thought you were going to be the one throwing up Well, then the rest of the night took a turn, and my only memory is lying on the sidewalk and having to be escorted. Oh, no. It was terrible. Lying on the sidewalk is serious. Yeah, it was terrible. I can't drink. I've never drunk tequila since. Like, Oh, wow. I have zero interest. Zero. I mean, I guess it's tequila and margaritas. Yes. Okay, so I've had a little bit. but Never out of analgene again. Never out of analgene. (laughs) And what I will say to just, like, shore up her brand now is I think Amy was a really good mom even then before this was well pre-kids. And I think she took very good care of me. (laughs) She made you yummy toddler food for your hangover? (laughs) Well, she also made the cocktail in the Nalgene bottle, so it was, like, early recipe testing days. I not need to see work. her post about like things to feed your sick toddler. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm imagining her handing all those things her to being you. Like, do you need pastino soup? <laughs> yeah. I did need pastino soup. Actually, that would be great. Amy's totally the friend to take care of you if you have a hangover. Um, but anyway, it was not my best night. That might have been my worst New Year's. But also, <laughs> I don't know. I survived it. These days, like my house is pretty booze free. I literally can have half a glass of wine and I will have a migraine the next day. Like my yeah, relationship same. with alcohol. Yeah. It was never that. And it 
has never been that again. So, yeah, I mean, for a few years, we got together with friends, with Amy's family and a couple other good friends. And then we finally all had too many children and we couldn't all fit in one house. And so that sort of disbanded. And now it tends to depend, but it tends to be a pretty quiet night for us. And I think I have like a little bit of sadness of like, oh, those like epic party days are gone. But also like no one really looks back and misses lying on a sidewalk. No. Yeah. And maybe they'll come back around when you're I mean, I hope never to drink tequila out of an (laughs) Algene bottle again. (laughs) Absolutely not. But I do enjoy like a nice dinner party or something low-key. Like your night sounds perfect. Yeah. Sounds really good. I feel like that story was, but it was a little bit also the best because it's a funny story. Okay. This reader wants to know if we have recommendations for socks that don't dig into thicker calves. Okay. So I have a few things to say about this. The first thing is... Just personally, I wear ankle socks, which yeah. don't go to your calves and yeah. therefore don't dig into them. I think that's been my solution. I've personally been enjoying the Madewell ankle socks. They're like oh. cloud lift or something. I don't know. They're just like a thicker ankle sock. Okay. However, the other thing that you should know about this is there is a whole wealth of socks that don't dig into your calves because they are diabetes socks. Oh, so smart. Yes, they're designed to not, like, impede circulation in any way. So they don't have elastic at the top, or they're sort of like a stretchier knit. Mm. So you can just Google diabetic socks, and you'll get, like, a whole slew of socks that are, like, looser-fitting. This is such a good tip. That's really excellent. I don't have any, like, specific brand recommendations, but mm-hmm. you'll find them. And I know, like, there's, like, Maggie's Organics that everyone loves, and, mm-hmm. like, they make a diabetic sock. So mm-hmm. check it out. Perfect. I also just mostly do ankle socks. I feel like I blame skinny jeans for that, too, because once yeah. the skinny jeans trend happened, it was like, there's no socks you can pull yeah. up under a skinny jean like with shorts i think i feel like i just prefer the way ankle socks feel and look you sometimes want a taller sock with boots another thing i've been seeing is brands advertising like slouchy socks which i think might be the same wait like from thing. the 80s like the slouchy yeah, like, like scrunch that, socks like, is back yeah that like scrunch <gasps> down I feel oh like I, i'm gonna have to think of where i saw those but i saw like slouchy socks all right we'll try to put a link somewhere. in the transcript yeah. that reminds me of like the babysitter's club with their yes. triple slouch socks which is a exactly. look I, I really leaned into in the late well, 80s yeah you can lean back into it that's exciting and i just bought a big hair claw like Ooh, one of those yes. like, big clip yes. banana clip kind of claws yeah I'm really, I'm really those. here for 80s accessories returning. Okay, the next question is cozy clothes, question mark. I feel like we've had a cozy clothes question for the last few every months. Every month. <laughs> but we do have some new cozy recommendations. Well, I felt like last month we talked about coats. And so That's true. I think this time we should talk about indoor loungewear coziness, okay. yes. which is a different category. I don't want to necessarily wear like a big sweater. I'm actually wearing a sweater today and I'm really hot. So it's reminding me that I don't want to be doing that. Like I actually want like breathable cozy clothes mm. versus like wool, heavy wool sweaters. I think I want to wear to be cozy and then I'm just boiling in them. Yes. So I have a sweatshirt from Eileen Fisher. We're going to be team Eileen Fisher again. Yes. One thing I want to say about Eileen Fisher, because we did have someone comment that it's very expensive. True. 
there's so much of it on like eBay and Poshmark. So yes, you don't need to buy your Eileen Fisher new and you can find it on sale a lot also through like department stores and stuff. That is a very good tip. I'm glad you mentioned that. I got this in my Stitch Fix. So I paid a Stitch Fix price. So I mean, it wasn't super cheap, probably $100, which is a lot for a sweatshirt. I totally agree. But it's a really cheerful, bright pink color that makes me super happy. And it's just very well cut. And it's like a lightweight, like I don't get hot in it, but it's still like very soft. I've been wearing that a lot with leggings or sweatpants, etc. And I will also be a total influencer for a moment and say the Boston Birkenstock clogs really are as good as everyone says. I am on my second pair of the shearling lined ones. I made a mistake the first time a few years ago. I bought them in light pink, and that was a poor choice because they got very dirty very quickly and kind of just looked not good. After I wore those into the ground, I bought them in navy, and I love them so much. And they're my indoor shoes. I'm a big Mm. fan of house shoes and house pants. I like slippers, but... I'm 41 and my feet hurt a lot and I need arch support and I work from home. I like never leave my house. So I did on the price point. I had a moment of like, am I going to spend over $100 on house shoes? And then I thought I will wear these more than any of my outdoor shoes. That's a good point. I don't really understand how the Boston clog got so trendy on TikTok. I feel like it's one specific color. Is it a taupey color? Yeah, I think so. And sort of like a young women range of sizes. Right. Like I think you can still find them in like men's sizes and different colors. Well, the Navy Sherling are there, so. Good to know. Um, my new cozy clothes investment is a robe from Peridot Robes. Yes, your robe. I'm tell so us. obsessed. Wait, tell us. Um, I don't even know this brand, so tell us everything. Well, it's a brand that makes plus-size robes. That's almost all they make. They make, like, a few other things, like a crop top and, like, a jumpsuit. And I think there may be some other things coming next year. She uses all remnant material. Oh, wow. So it's earth-friendly, mm-hmm. sustainable. Yeah. And I feel like the cuts are just great. Like, I feel like robes, weirdly, are kind of hard to find, like, especially ones that, like, overlap a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the one I got... I think it's the cuddle robe. It has a hood and it's like not like V-neck, which I really like. Like the front fully closes. Yes. Like it's almost like more like a coat and it has like sweatshirt cuffs. It's so great. And the fabric is like this French terry or something, but it's just so great. And I've just been wearing it like over my clothes (laughs) a lot if I'm like need to like take the trash out or something like that. And I'm going to a like hot spring spa place with my mom and sister over Christmas. Oh, and I'm fun. so excited to wear it there. You are you are going to be very <laughs> Over stylish. a bathing suit. Yeah. Yes. A good robe to wear over a bathing suit in that time yeah. is critical. Because yes. getting out of the water and then it's cold, you're, yeah, yes. you're going to be yeah. really happy about that. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that cozy clothing. And definitely check out Peridot. And for a quick budget cozy option, I have a fleece from Target I really like. It's Mm. light pink. I'm very into pink for my coziness, apparently. I got it last spring, so I'm hoping they'll still have it. But if they don't have this one, they'll probably do a similar cozy fleece option. I will say styling-wise, it's definitely a knockoff of like Madewell or Alder Apparel or one of those, which, you know is you can have your feelings about. 
but it was $20 or something. Wow. So, you know, a really good price. And it's very oversized. So, like, the arms are, like, blousey. Like, it's just, like, you know, it's going to—I think it probably—Target probably caps out at a 3X, but I would guess there's some flexibility because it's— yeah, I think they, have, they now have 4X. I don't trust us to say a brand ever since the J. Crew coat saga. I don't want to promise that it comes in whatever sizes it comes in because yeah. it will change by the time this airs. But yeah, in theory, and it came in Target some has good ones. fleeces. They do have good There's fleeces. There's probably other ones if this one sells it. And like, it's one of the more reliable budget plus size options in general. Definitely. So. Can you talk about what terms like small fat or skinny fat mean? I want to better understand how these ways of identifying can help us acknowledge how we show up in these spaces and what privileges might be clouding our view. Yeah, these are great terms to understand. They are not the same. And I also just want to quickly say that language is always evolving and terms have different meanings to different people. So Corinne and I will talk about what these terms mean to us in our general understanding. This is in no way the final word on defining these terms. Six months from now, we might have a different definition for these terms. Small fat is a term I apply to myself or to other folks who wear, I wear anywhere from a 16 to a 20. Is that how you would define small fat? I would say it's like the smallest plus sizes, I mm-hmm. think. So like, yeah, like 16, 18 And I think it's a helpful, the reason we use small fat is we want to understand that fatness is a spectrum and that anti-fat bias hurts everybody, but hurts fat people the most. And so the fatter you are, the more harmed you are by it. And so we are acknowledging that there is privilege in being small fat. You are going to face less discrimination than someone who is mid-fat or super fat. Yeah, and just have less issues with, like, accessibility in terms of spaces, seating, clothing. I mean, you still benefit from thin privilege in the small fat space, which I think is a concept that people find challenging sometimes, but is absolutely true. I know there's a really good piece on Medium that I will link to by Cherry Midnight explaining super fat. Okay. And I know that came out of a conference... I think it was No Lose, the mm. organizations for lesbians of size or whatever it stands for. The folks who were using the term super fat realized like even, you know, that is a convention for fat people <laughs> and that accessibility issues were coming up. And so those folks realized like they needed a special designation for themselves to advocate for their needs, even within a community of other fat people. Right. Because even within like fat spaces, a lot of times like small fat people are prioritized or have more visibility. I think small fat people are the most likely to cause some of the harm around, you know, it doesn't matter how much you weigh as long as you're healthy. We just have to be really mindful that our role here is not just to make our own lives easier, but to recognize that like there is a privilege in being a palatable fat person. Yeah. And that that comes with a responsibility where you need to advocate for the needs of other people who are not being heard and also look for ways to make them be heard. What is your understanding of skinny fat? Skinny fat is, I think, a more offensive term. In my understanding, it is used to describe thin people who don't exercise a lot. And my pop culture reference for this is an episode of Weeds, where Mm. Jane Lynch 
who was like playing like a scary fitness obsessed pot dealer, I think, mm-hmm. called Mary Louise Parker Skinny Fat. Oh, wow. Because she was like trying to yell at her about working out more or something. And it was like funny in the scene, yeah. but also not. Because it's basically a way of being like, you're thin, but like you're still not good enough. And because yeah. and the reason you're not good enough is you because you remind me of a fat person. So it's definitely yeah. an anti-fat term. I've heard it also only in like a joking context and it, mm-hmm. of it meaning like people who are thin, but not like muscular. Kind right, of. right. Like you're thin, but yeah, you still have like body fat. <laughs> which one would hope that you would. <laughs> Body yeah, fat is important. Just seems normal. For health and functioning <laughs> as a human body. Yeah. And it's also, it's like reinforcing so many things, right? Like someone can work out a ton and not have the body type that produces a lot of visible muscle. Yeah. It's definitely playing into the like, you can look at somebody's body and decide you know everything about their lifestyle habits, which is just yeah. absolutely false. So, yeah, I would say ditch skinny fat from your vocabulary or at least reflect upon it. Small fat, I think, is a useful term. If you want other, like, terms to describe fatness, you can look up the spectrum. And there's also, like, mid fat, super fat, and infinity fat. What do you like? Like, how do you identify yourself? That's a good question. I think I'm sort of, like, on the edge between... I think I'm on the upper edge of mid fat or the lower edge of super fat. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would use those. And do you find that, like, a helpful... Like, is that helpful or is it, like, frustrating? I feel like I'm so rarely in a space where, like, I could be using those Mm -hmm. terms and anyone would know what I'm talking about, at least in real life, like, online, maybe. I definitely get how accessibility changes as you change size, and I do think it's helpful to acknowledge that people at different levels of fatness experience different levels of not being able to access Mm -hmm. things totally so i do think it's helpful in that sense what's your take on the term small fat i have no issue with that Mm -hmm. i think small fat is a helpful designation what is helpful as an ally to say when a fat person denigrates themselves to you this is a tough question because like on the one hand you want to not be fat phobic Mm -hmm. and on the other hand you want to be like supportive of your friend and their experience. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you have to tread lightly and it's going to depend on the situation. Something I have recommended in the past to thin folks is just to be like, I love you or I love fat people. Mm. (laughs) Um, Just to be like, you know, however you might feel, this is how I feel. Yeah, that's lovely. I love that. I don't know. It's like there's a lot of contexts in which that might not be comfortable, though. Like if it's like a coworker or someone you don't know very well. Someone where declaring your love feels inappropriate. (laughs) Right. Someone you just met and you're like, well, I love you. So (laughs) thanks for walking my dog. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Thanks for dropping off this UPS package. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I guess you could be like, however you feel, there are fat people in my life that I love. And yes, that feels perfect. I don't love to hear them complaining about themselves. I don't know. I guess my thought is whenever possible, I like to put the blame on the system, not on the people. Like I love saying I love a lot of fat people. I hate that this culture makes you feel bad about your body. I like that. I'm channeling my Aubrey Gordon advice here, but like. 
don't dismiss what they're saying they experience. Like, don't yeah. say, like, I'm sure that person didn't mean to be so rude or, you know, you're probably yeah. misreading. Or like, you're don't, not fat. Yeah, don't deny reality for sure. And don't deny their reality if they're saying, like, they are feeling bad because a doctor said X. Like, that probably, that happened. <laughs> don't deny yeah. that. And ask what they need and how you can support them. Yeah, I think that's good advice. All right. This week's newsletter was such a good read regarding supporting kids when they're bullied about their weight. I'd also love to hear you guys talk about the flip side. Two of my young kids, seven and four, have started using fat as an insult to each other. They're both very thin, and the phrase was inspired by a movie with a fat cat character and lots of fat jokes. Miyazaki, Cat Returns, to be honest, do not recommend. My instinct was to say both, hey, never say that again, and also, there's nothing wrong with being fat and start a conversation from there. But all of these feel insufficient in different ways, and it's not close to home enough for them right now to engage with me in a very meaningful conversation. My husband and I are also thin, and the closest person in their life who is fat is my mom, who is very vocal about her body being bad and also just had weight loss surgery. In a way, even though we don't live close to her or see her more than a few times a year, it feels like she will be the authority on fatness in their lives because of how much she talks about it and the fact that it's her lived experience. So anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on raising my thin kids not to be assholes. First, thank you for this question. I really appreciate when thin parents are doing this work with their thin kids yeah, and recognizing how important this is. So that's great. So I think there's two layers to this. I think the first is, what do you say in the moment? How do you respond when your kid uses fat as an insult? And I will share some thoughts on that. But first, I want to take a step back and say, we need to facilitate more examples of fat joy and fat excellence in your kids' lives. Y'all need some fat friends. Yeah. (laughs) And you need to look for books with representations of fat characters. And we can link to some of those in the transcript that are age appropriate. Definitely Bodies Are Cool by Tyler Fetter. But there's a few others I can throw in. You need to be showing them fat bodies as joyful and strong and competent and wonderful. And, you know, saying I love fat people to your kids often to start to do some counter-programming. And I think when you watch a movie and there's a lot of fat jokes, you stop, you press pause, and you say, I don't love what I'm hearing. I don't love the way they're talking about this cat. I think a fat cat is awesome. What do you guys think? And you try to have a conversation. And I get your kids are young. They're not that much younger than my kids. And I've been trying to have these conversations with my kids since they were that age. And there are definitely a lot of blank looks and a lot of I don't knows. And why is mom talking about this again vibes? But I just keep chipping away at them because I got thin kids too. And they're not allowed to walk around being assholes about this. I think that's good advice. I think, yeah, like, it would be great if you could find some fat people to befriend. Mm-hmm. Also, just showing them, like, media representation of fat books would also be awesome. And don't worry if it is negative, because that is your assignment to talk about why it's wrong that it's negative. I'm probably not going to watch Cat Returns now either, even though Totoro, I think, is a great fat icon in Miyazaki's mm. world. And so this is disappointing that they went there with this one, which I haven't seen. But if we stumble across it, I use that as an opportunity to have a conversation. Okay, so then in the moment when your kids start using fat as an insult to each other, I think you can just quickly say something like, 
why are you using fat as an insult? There's nothing wrong with being fat. I would require some accountability, like gentle, loving accountability <laughs> that they are only four and seven. They don't understand the broader context of all of this. And you do have to make space for the fact that they don't really understand it yet. And yet all the research shows us these are the ages when fat phobia is learned and embedded. So you are up against that. So I think, why are you using fat as an insult? Tell me more about why you're using that word. And then starting to have that conversation I wouldn't say never, ever say that again, because fat is not a bad word. It's not a word you're trying to ban in your house. It's a word you're reclaiming. So that's important. But could you say something like, hey, I don't want to hear you using fat as an insult? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Because I get, I feel like the urge to be like really serious about it could have an effect. You don't want to shame your kid for trying something out because kids are trying things out and they don't know the bigger context. But you do want them to know, like, if you just inserted any racial minority here or gay, right? Right. I think a lot of parents would feel pretty confident if their seven-year-old called their four-year-old gay, having a moment and saying, what? There's nothing wrong with gay. We love lots of gay people. What are you doing? Yeah. You know? And so it's really the same conversation. Like, think about how you would talk about, and gay used to be used all the time as an insult. Some yes. kids still use it as an insult. I think... The same rules really apply here. So they can know that they crossed a line because these are words that describe human beings and we don't weaponize people's characteristics like this. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. All right, I will read the next question. This person writes, I am from the South and I grew up on Chick-fil-A. I worked there through high school and college. As I've grown, I've come to understand how harmful their Christian stances to so many populations and have tried to honor my values by cutting them out of my diet. However, sometimes it's the only thing I can think of eating. And the more I restrict, the more I hyper-focus on the cravings. I'm curious to see what you think and how you might react in a similar situation. Let me first ask you, have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? Do you know, I don't think I ever have. I was trying to remember. I'm not from the South. Yeah, I feel like they're very rare in like New England, New York. Yeah, I don't think I have. But I have heard that they are delicious, problematic, absolutely, yeah. but delicious. Yeah, I had never had it until I moved to Albuquerque. And I feel like it's fine. <laughs> it's not delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I maybe we have a bad Chick-fil-A here, but... <laughs> So my first thought is, can you go to Popeye's instead, which probably not helpful. <laughs> um, it is it is hard because when you have like a specific comfort food craving, it is like, like it's hard to substitute with another brand. Yeah, especially if it's something you grew up with. I think there's a couple ways to answer this question. I don't think there's like a hard right or wrong answer. Yeah. I do think if you are someone who has a history of restriction and that has been very harmful to you, that... Your mental health and well-being can take priority over your larger societal values because the net good of, like, one person buying one fewer Chick-fil-A sandwich does not move the needle on shutting down Chick-fil-A or getting them to stop being homophobic assholes. And you denying yourself the sandwich does have an immediate harm for you, right? What do you think? I would say, like, if you're worried about the kind of stuff that Chick-fil-A is doing, then 
you know, the time you spend worrying about that could be maybe better spent doing some kind of like advocacy, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, calling your representatives or volunteering at like a trans organization in your Mm -hmm. area or every time you buy a Chick-fil-A, give money to the ACLU or, Oh, I love that. That feels like a great solution. So your Chick-fil-A budget just doubled. Yeah. (laughs) Because whatever the sandwich costs, you're going to give that plus like an extra buck to a group that's fighting against them. Yeah. I would just say be vocal about that in your life. Like if you're going to eat Chick-fil-A, make sure that you're saying like, I love gay people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're a lot of this message is just the, the overarching theme of this episode is just say, I love, I love fat gay I people. I love gay people so much. <laughs> I'm here for that. I think it's a great, it's a great message. I also want to say that I think there's a simple parallel here too. I don't love abusive farming practices, which are performed by many large food manufacturers in the United States. I don't love when factory workers are exploited. I still buy processed foods for my family because they make my day-to-day life livable. You know, like I need my salad kits and my pre-cut butternut squash and my craft mac and cheese and my insert every Oreos, every package. I could just list you my little bites, every my entire pantry full of processed foods that let me feed my kids. And it's such a myth that the solution to these problems are consumers' individual choices. We know that's not the case. Well, that's where I think, like, the advocacy comes in, too. It's like, ideally, we wouldn't have to live in a world where we had to choose between our values and eating a sandwich. Absolutely. So, like, I don't know. (laughs) Try to get the Supreme Court to say that... (laughs) companies don't have free speech or, right, you know. Right, to stop treating them like people and then we can yeah. really get somewhere. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I think if this is something you love and it's helpful to you breaking up with restriction to eat it, then eat it and think about how to live those values in other ways. And I think that's just the same exact advice I'd give about any fast food, processed foods. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I did admit at the beginning of this question that I have eaten at Chick-fil-A. I do try to avoid it, but we also have a Popeye's here, and I think Popeye's is superior. Oh, it is an easy moral (laughs) quandary for you to solve. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure Popeye's also does not great thing. Yeah. I mean, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, so we're all just doing the best we can. Yes. Well, here's a question for you. Do you ever just not want to think about this stuff? grateful that you do, but it must be a lot. I weirdly don't have this happen too often. I guess that's why I do the job I do, is that I really love thinking about this stuff. I admit there are aspects of it that I tap out on sometimes. Like, I think the thing that sort of exhausts me the most, and this is why I'm very grateful to Maintenance Phase for doing what they do, is the individual diet debunking. We've done Mm. some of it here. People love it. Those episodes do really well. I find it very irritating because it is just always the same thing. (laughs) It is just always, it is a restrictive diet that they've dressed up in some kind of bizarre marketing to convince you it's not a restrictive diet. And it's always the same thing. And I get sort of exasperated telling that story over and over, even though I also do think they're important stories to tell. And I understand why people love it and like these brands, like this marketing is really powerful and it's helpful to break through. But that piece of it, sometimes I'm just like, oh, 
this again. But otherwise, I guess the other thing, too, is I have a lot of time in my life when I don't think about this stuff. Like, if I'm doing a puzzle or hanging out with my kids, you know, I'm not, like, wrestling with diet culture at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not that this isn't 24-7 for me. You know, what do you think about this? Well, I'm like immediately, yes. Interesting. For me, it's more stuff that impacts accessibility. Like, yeah, I would love to be able to like book a plane ticket without being like, am I going to (laughs) die? That seems fair. (laughs) Or like seating at concert venues, restaurant, you know, like I would love to be able to like go to a restaurant without thinking about what the seating situation is going to be. So this is such a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier in the terms Mm. of the small fat privilege versus the mid to super fat experience. And I just want to say very clearly, like what Corinne is saying here is I get to opt out sometimes and she does not in the same way. And that is so real. And I just really want to respect that. So my mom is coming. This is in December. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to go to this place for breakfast where we've been before. And I'm like, I don't want to go there because half of their seating is like a booth, a very mm-hmm. small booth that I can't fit into. So mm-hmm. we're going to have to go there and show up and be like, I will sit anywhere except there. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's right. like, even if like my mom does it, it just like puts a damper on the Absolutely. whole thing. Absolutely. You don't feel welcome there because they didn't think about larger bodies when they designed this restaurant. Anyways, it's bummer. Don't recommend it. Totally sucks. Yeah. So I think like not wanting to think about it in the sense that I would like to not be perpetually oppressed is a pretty valid (laughs) way to want to break. It's fair to want to break from the oppression. (laughs) I was thinking of this question much more in the like more personal struggles place. And again, I just think that speaks to the different experiences. So I'm glad you highlighted that. That's a good question. What are your personal philosophies on aging and are you conflicted about it in any sense? I feel firmly that I am someone who was born to be an older person. (laughs) I think my whole life I have been working towards being someone in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s who mostly stays in and does puzzles and has plans. And I think the story I kicked this off with about my one night of tequila sidewalk lying down illustrates how bad I was at being a fun young person. (laughs) And I'm so glad. I'm so glad I don't have to be fun and young anymore. Wow. There's nothing you're conflicted about? Like, how do you feel about gray hair? I actually feel fine about gray hair. Do you have Um, any? So, okay, here is the thing about me and gray hair. I don't have a lot. I do have several. I am not actively trying to dye them, but I do get highlights. And my very talented hairstylist often places the highlights in ways that distract the gray hair. She doesn't cover Mm. them completely. But yes. And because I made a self-care decision to outsource my hair to her like about a decade ago, and I just do whatever she wants to do with my hair because I'm always happy with it. And that way I don't get like worked up about what should I do with my hair. Mm. I haven't yet said to her like, we don't have to actively cover the grays. But like, I haven't started not dying it is what yeah. I'm saying. Because I'm happy with how it looks. Yeah. But it's not because I'm happy it's covered my grays. It's just that I don't want to think about my hair that much. Yeah. <laughs> but as I get more grays, I will not be trying to hide them. 
am I conflicted about aging? When does it come up for me? Like sagging face, menopause. Sagging face a little bit. Any feelings? I will admit to feelings about face sagging sometimes if yeah that's that's come up a few times I do have a lot more chin hair in my 40s so much more chin hair and managing that is a hobby I didn't really want Mm. so that one sure menopause I don't even know I mean my relationship with my menstrual health is like I'm suppressing it all with an IUD for as long as possible so I don't know menopause could be a gift it could be a nightmare I have no idea but what's going on currently isn't great so yeah it's not like I'm gonna be losing out on some beautiful experience of menstruation so yeah mostly I just love having to give fewer facts about stuff but yeah what about you you sound a little more conflicted and we should say I'm older (laughs) I'm several years older. Not by much. Um, I'm going to be 42 in a few months. I'm 37 when you listen to this podcast, (laughs) if I did the math right. Um, I always thought that I wouldn't care. And then when I started getting gray hairs, I was like, oh, I do care. And I have the color of hair that you can't really see them unless you're like up close. But yeah, I just was like, oh, I feel sad that I'm going to have different hair in like a few years. I just feel like the my, I don't know I like identify with how my hair looks, but yeah, um, that's fair. I don't know that I will start like dyeing it because it seems like a lot of work and money. It is, but yeah, I think I feel like low key sad about it, but also like I do feel also good about still being alive and mm-hmm. <laughs> giving fewer fucks. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways in which I haven't had to contend with a lot of ageism yet because I work from home not in an office where I think it would be dealing with ageism much more concretely on a daily basis. I think that that would be harder and may become harder. I'm at this point, like mostly when I sort of suddenly realized that my age or my weight, either one, has rendered me invisible, like to a man or something. I'm usually like, amused slash fine with it (laughs) you know like annoyed sometimes but also like oh god are you really gonna be this cliched like I don't know I have this moment of like really oh right of course this is where we are so but I mean again there's like privilege there my job is not hinging on how people perceive my age yet so yeah we'll see yeah obviously the idea of like adding more oppression is not like exciting and you know the idea of dying one day isn't like a cheery thought (laughs) but otherwise I don't miss god I don't miss my 20s at all not at all yeah don't miss lying on the sidewalk it was one night it was one (laughs) night I can't underscore enough you're never gonna live that down (laughs) Um. how rarely that happened in my life oh boy all right okay I'm also really excited about this question I'm in a breakfast rut. What are your current favorite breakfasts? I am a lifelong breakfast rut person. Some fun facts about me. From the ages of 8 to 33, my breakfast every day was toast with peanut butter and banana on top. And then when I was 33, I got into smoothies. Mm. And my breakfast ever since has been the same exact smoothie. Whoa. And then, so now, because I get up so early now, I have the smoothie as my first breakfast, and then I usually yes. have peanut butter and banana toast mm-hmm. around 9 or 10 as my second breakfast. And that is my breakfast story. 
like when I'm going on vacation, I can like mix it up. And I do and really enjoy an egg sandwich or a breakfast burrito situation. I wake up very hungry and excited for breakfast, but I also don't want to cook or prepare elaborate things in the morning. Well, I feel like I have the opposite experience, which is I'm like always eating something different for breakfast. But I think for the same reason, which is I wake up like starving, like breakfast is like my hungriest. Like I yeah, eat like oh, a yeah. big breakfast. And I have come around to the philosophy of any food is good for breakfast. <laughs> so I will eat like soup or burrito. I'll just eat any food that I'm excited to eat. Leftover pasta is a great breakfast. Yes. Yeah. Really great breakfast. Sometimes I yeah. have that as a mid-morning breakfast. Yes. I'm also like, I don't like love sweet breakfast stuff. So like peanut butter toast and like smoothies. I'm like, mm. yeah, but I've cold. gotten really into having beans for breakfast. That's like my new <laughs> weird thing is like, sometimes I'll have like beans and tater tots or sometimes I'll have like a quesadilla with beans in it. Like, I am hangry if I don't have enough to eat by 10 a.m. Yeah. I really feel like people should just eat whatever they like for breakfast. Like, if you want pizza, if you want mac and cheese, like, just eat it. I like this. But also a smoothie is good if you're in a rut because it's, like, It's very simple. I also want to be clear that when I say smoothie, I mean, like, I don't want to be triggering and give ounces, but I drink, like, 20 ounces of smoothie. Like, it's a very large smoothie. Yeah. I'm not, like, having some kind of, like, diet culturally sad breakfast. It does contain protein powder. I've written before about how protein powder is a diet food I reclaimed. Yeah. Honestly, just because I do find it really actually fills me up. And it's, like, protein powder and peanut butter. They both have to be in there. And blueberries and milk is my smoothie recipe. Um, It's chocolate is that protein it? powder. Yes. Milk, blueberries, milk, protein powder, protein powder, peanut butter. So is it cold? Yeah, the blueberries are frozen. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't want to eat a cold drink in the winter. Oh, yeah, I get that. But I, it doesn't bother me. And also Um, my kids are obsessed with it too. So it's like I make a giant, I make like a 50 Mm. ounce smoothie every morning. Oh, wow. And we all split it. And we spend a fortune on frozen blueberries. Yeah. Tam buys the five pound bags at Walmart and we go through yes. them like every three days. Wow. That's amazing. I might try that. I really like smoothies in the summer because it's hot. Yeah. But. Yeah. It is a better summer breakfast. But I just, I don't know, something about it. I mean, it basically is like a chocolate milkshake is what it tastes like. Mm. So that's why my kids like it. And I also why I like it. No, again, like when I travel, I do enjoy mixing it up. But I will tell you, I have my anxiety when I travel is that there will not be enough breakfast because I know how much I rely on like a very large smoothie followed by like generous pieces of sourdough with peanut butter and banana or sometimes an egg sandwich. Like if I'm not home for my second breakfast, I'll often like get an egg sandwich when I'm out. And that's like will tide me over and we'll still be hungry for lunch in two hours. So this is making me hungry. I know. (laughs) What we're saying is Corinne and I are very invested in early yeah. day eating, and we yes. want you to have a delicious breakfast, whatever that is. Yeah, I do think sometimes the like, for whatever diet culture reason, it's like people think that breakfast is like a piece of toast and an egg. And I'm yes. like, that is not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough food. It doesn't make any sense I could to me. maybe eat that for dinner. Like, yeah, I, I, I need like a huge breakfast. Yeah, but anyways. absolutely. All right. You have 24 hours just for you. What do you eat, watch, listen to do? 
Oh man, 24 hours just for me. What would that be this like? Is, I know this is not a question for me because <laughs> 24 hours every are... 24 hours is just for me. So, you live the dream. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I would have my smoothie in the morning mm, and mm-hmm. my second breakfast. Mm-hmm. It depends on what season we're in. If it's winter, I'm probably just going to curl up by the fire and read novels all day and oh. then bake brownies and eat the center ones. For myself and not share them with my children. <laughs> and maybe that. like do a puzzle and watch a movie. And if it's summer, I'm gonna do more gardeny things. And like maybe go for a hike, but only if the weather's like really perfect for it. And it's not get crazy. Yeah. The other thing I would do is do something like some very finicky type of shopping like antiquing which is something I don't really do anymore because bringing kids into antique stores is like a stress level I'm not willing to achieve like something like that where I'm like oh this would be a bummer with the kids but really fun without them yeah what do you do tell us what is it what is it like having 24 hours to yourself like I said I do what I want all the time but well also like 24 hours with no work no I know that's that's what I was thinking so if I had 24 hours where I had like no plans I feel like I would maybe go somewhere. Like I would either go on like a little short day trip or mm. like a, go for like a walk at a place I've never been. So I don't know like how long it's going to take or something. Right, like that. right. That's nice. Yeah. Something where yeah. you don't have to worry about how long it's taking. Yeah. You don't have stuff to get back for. And I would do it in the morning and then I would come home and do the movie book puzzle mm-hmm. evening. Yeah. All right. Should we end with butter? Do you have a butter for us? Last weekend, I went to the potluck, and someone for the potluck had brought, like, a huge bowl of popcorn, and it was mushroom popcorn. Wait. Which it refers to the shape of the kernel. It's, okay. like, popcorn that pops into, like, a ball instead of, like, a little florette, florette. or whatever. Yes. And it was so good, and I immediately got home and ordered mushroom popcorn. Wow. Which I have not received yet. But my recommendation is if you like popcorn, which I do, that is yeah. like a dinner, sometimes yeah. dinner for me. Sounds great. Uh, maybe check out mushroom popcorn. And so not mushroom flavored. It's not even shaped like a mushroom, so I don't understand why it's called that. But <laughs> it's really just shaped like a little ball. Huh. Um, huh. Yeah, All I'm right. really excited to eat a lot of mushroom popcorn this I'm winter. excited for that because it sounds like maybe a slightly smoother shape. And my big beef with popcorn is the like stuck in your teeth yeah. The nickiness of it sometimes. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Yeah, the I was looking wherever I ordered this from also had like hullless popcorn, which I thought maybe would solve mm. that problem. Interesting. All right. My butter is my Kobo e-reader. I am so obsessed with my Kobo. And I've talked about it on Instagram here and there. And I just was like, you know what? I need to give it like a real shout out on the podcast. If you are an ebook person, I am Definitely someone who, given the choice, will read paper books. I find it more lovely. But for travel, obviously, you cannot bring a lot of paper books with you. And the Kobo e-reader is so delightful. I have had a Kindle. I actually like the Kobo a little better, but the functionality is like totally the same. Why do you like the Kobo better? It's like so tiny, the differences. But the one I have, I have the Clara and the dimensions of it are just like a little bit like it fits in my hand a little bit nicer. It's a little bit smaller than my old Kindle was. I think I had the paperweight and I just really love it. And so Hmm. I got it because I 
really try, I am not someone who has divested from Amazon in any major way. I want to be clear. My protein powder comes from them every month um, and many other things. But I did make the decision several years ago not to buy books from them because the harm they caused to the book publishing industry is so severe. And so I buy all my books from my local independent bookstore or other independent bookstores if I'm traveling. And the great thing about Kobo is your independent bookstore can give you a link so that they get a cut of the ebook sales when you buy them mm-hmm. on your Kobo. So it's a way of supporting your independent bookstore. And they have everything. And, you know, the battery lasts a thousand years and you can have, I think I can have 6,000 books on there. It's just so great and so convenient. So that's awesome. That's a really good recommendation. Yeah. I have a very ancient Kindle paperweight that could probably be replaced. And I actually, we got my nine year old one for Christmas. So this is a little sneaky parenting hack. I'm also not anti screen time, but I have moments every few months where I panic that we've lost the plot on screen time. And I realized I could diversify the screen time a little bit. (laughs) And I don't put rules around when she can use the Kobo, unlike the Mm. iPad, where I do have like a no iPad after dinner because I don't want the blue light to keep you up kind of thing. Mm. And so she really loves the like unlimited freedom of like, I can have this screen in my room, you know, (laughs) I can like read it anywhere. And like, she's just reading. It's all you can do on it is read. That's awesome. (laughs) And you can hook it up to OverDrive. So you can oh, cook nice. to your library. And so we also are using our library cards way more wow, now that that's the awesome. Kobos are connected to the library account. So win-win. That's win. really great. All right. We did another AMA. That was a good one. Thank you, great. Corinne, for being here. Remind yeah. people where they can follow you. Oh, you can follow me on Instagram at SelfieFay or at Plus. Amazing. And we will do this again next month. So send us your questions, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and leave us a rating or a review. Those will really help grow the podcast. Please also consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at B underscore Soulsmith. Corinne edits and formats our transcripts. That's Corinne Fay, who runs at Sell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.